my, my text verse, I want to start with that. And it's in John 8, the second part of verse 31 and then verse 32. And these are actually the words of Jesus himself. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, the truth will set you free. Okay, now look at yourself somehow and say, the truth will set me free. You might have to get out your phone and turn it on selfie mode and look at it. But uh, this is something I really want us to get this today. Uh, the, des- the desire for God in our life is that we would be free. And uh, the thing that sets us free is knowing the truth. And we are living in a culture where it's becoming more and more, the truth is becoming more and more relative. Uh, there, there's, there's not a lot of absolutes anymore. You see it in the media, you see it in life, you see it all over the place. Uh, how you feel about a situation is becoming more important than the actual truth in a lot of ways. But we as believers are, are, are not called to that. We, we, have a, we have a standard that God has called us to, amen? And what he promises us here in, in John 8 is that if we will know the truth, if we will walk as his disciples and know the truth, the truth will actually set us free. And that's how we've been called to live in this life. And the title of my message today is called Culture Shock. Um, because I want to talk to you about experiencing freedom in a post-Christian culture, which is what we're in today. We're in a post-Christian culture. We, we're living in a, in a society today that uh, does not serve God or follow God. We see it in everywhere we go. Uh, I'm thankful for a church service on Sunday mornings. We can come together and we can be with people that are like-minded. That's a great thing. Amen. But it's, but it's when we leave these doors this afternoon, everything is different. Our place of work, our school, the, the, our neighborhood, a lot of the people we're around uh, do not care a whole lot about God in our society. And so we, are, we live in a state of culture shock as Christians. Uh, I want to ask you this morning, has anybody ever experienced culture shock? If you've traveled to another country, uh, a lot of you raised your hand, a lot of you probably experienced that. Anytime you go to another country and you experience their culture and see how differently other cultures do normal everyday life, it is actually a shock to your system. It's actually a technical term. Uh, somewhat technical term of just being disoriented from being in another culture. You may be from a different culture and you experienced culture shock when you came to the States for some of you. We were a very multicultural church here. Um, so a lot of us have experienced that culture shock and I've experienced it a good bit too. I've had the privilege and the blessing and the honor of really being able to travel a lot over the last 25 years doing a lot of missions work and uh, every culture I went into was somewhat of a shock. And I, the, the one that was most severe for me by far was when I, I actually spent some time living in West Africa and lived in, a, in an Islamic Republic. And it was a uh, it was Sahara Desert, covers the whole country. There's no grass or very few trees anywhere. And it's a, it's a very, very poor nation, one of the poorest nations in the world. And uh, experiencing that culture was absolutely a shock to my system. And the longer I was there, the deeper I got into their culture, the more shocked I became. You actually, it's very common over the first... Uh, six months to a year to actually really struggle with even being depressed, living in a culture where you're not used to that, uh, the way they live life. And so uh, I remember the the most uh, obvious example for me was soon after we got there, we had rented a house to live in and I was tagged as being the person to pay the power bill. And you think, well, here, that's no big deal. You know, you go online and, and hit send pay bills and you do it. Or you put a check in the mail. Well, there you don't do any of that. You have to get cash and you take it to the power place. Well, since we had to do that, everybody has to do that. So my first time I went to pay the power bill, I don't, we'd only been there like a month or two. Went to pay the power bill, I walked in, you know, I was ready to do this, and I walk in and I get into a room that's big enough to hold about 30 people, but the problem was there was about 200 people in the room. And everybody in there was angry. 
I don't know why. I, if it was just because they knew they were having to give money. Or, I don't know what it was, but there's only like two or three tellers at the very front. And the people they were dealing with were yelling and they were arguing back and forth in, in, in French. You know, this country I was in spoke mostly French and Arabic. And so I didn't understand a lot of what was being said because I was still just learning the language. But, you know, I thought I'd be really, you know, dignified and nice and American. And uh, I found a lady and I asked her in French. I said, you know, where does the line start? I said, où commence la ligne? You know, and I thought I was so smart because I spoke in French. And I was really excited about myself. And she looked at me and scoffed. I was like, there's no line. You see a line here? You know, she rebuked me pretty quick. And uh, it, meanwhile, she elbowed me to make sure she'd get in front of me. And so uh, that, that, first, that first power bill experience for me probably took about two, two and a half hours. And it was 110 degrees outside, which means it's about 140 in that room. And it was sweaty and stinky. And I was so soaked in sweat and gross when I got out of there. I'm pretty sure I threw those clothes away. Uh, it was just a really rough experience. Now, that being said, over time, I learned how to do it and, you know, kind of sharpened my elbows a little bit too. And after a few, after a few months, I was able to pay my bill in about 30, 45 minutes. Uh, but... There was, there was always this struggle for me because, you know, I'm, I'm an American living in this place where there's probably 20, 30 Americans in the whole city. So we were recognizable. They knew why we were there. And, and so people probably knew I was a Christian. If they saw Americans, they assumed you were a Christian. So I was trying to be that witness for Jesus. But at the same time, I had to pay my power bill too, you know. And uh, so I was having that struggle of like, I don't want to ruin my witness. But I kind of, you know, so rather than like really use my elbows, I just kind of just did this thing, you know. And I did it, I did it Jesus' way, you know, politely. And... Uh, but, you know, that's how, that's how it is for us as Christians in our culture today. We experience this culture shock. All, as Christians, we're being closed in on every side, and we got people pushing us out of the way because they, they don't want to hear what we have to say all the time, you know? Um, or they don't necessarily care about our lifestyle, or they don't care about the fact that we're, we're Christians. And there's, there's a lot of pressure for us to kind of give in to that, uh, to succumb to that pressure that society has, you know? Because society's motto is, what if it feels good, do it. You know, you've heard that a thousand times. If it feels good, do it. Society basically feels like if you're not hurting anybody, it's no big deal. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Whereas, but we as Christians know that if we're going to live our life based on the standard of the word of God, it's not about how it feels for me. You know, it's about living my life for Jesus. It's about making, uh, letting him impact my life. Because we are called to make a difference in our society, aren't we? I heard it said one time that you will either affect or you will reflect society. We're either going to be a mirror image of it or we're going to have an effect on it. And if we're a mirror image of it, we're not, we're not really following what the Lord's plan is for each and every one of us. We're, we're called to affect our society and make a difference in our society, make an impact in the society that we live in for God's glory and for his good, right? And so uh, another way of saying it is like we're either a thermometer or a thermostat. You know, a thermometer, all it does is tell you what the temperature is in the room. But a thermostat, ooh, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Especially those digital ones and the ones you can connect to your phone where I can... I could turn on the air conditioning in this church from Africa if I want to. All I got to do is get on my phone and play with it. You know, a thermostat is a great thing. I could change the temperature in this room at no time because of a thermostat. But that's what we're called to be. We're called to affect change in our society, not be just a, a reflection of what our society looks like. We should look different than our society does. But that's a difficult thing for us to do, isn't it? Because there really is pressure mounting all around us to become who the society says we should be. But to do that, to affect our society and to, to walk in that freedom or to, to make the effect we want to make, we have to come from a place of freedom. It's the only way we're really going to make an impact is if we are truly walking free. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, in, in Galatians 5 verse 1, he says very clearly, and this is a very famous verse, we love this verse. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is actually a rebuke from Paul. He's saying, listen, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He has the word again in there. He's saying, guys, you were burdened at one time. Jesus set you free. Don't go back into that. Don't live in that, in that bondage that your society and the enemy would want you to live in. Live in the freedom that he's called you to live in. See, getting free is easy because Jesus did all the work. Okay? Getting free is easy because Jesus did all the work. Staying free is the tough part for us. Staying free is not always so easy because there are so many things pulling at us to try to put us back into bondage. And I'd like to, I'd like to suggest to you today that our society is set up in a way to put us into bondage. And, you know, I was just going, I was thinking through this message, and I, and I just, right off the top of my head, I thought of four things very quickly that I, that I feel like the, the society does to try to keep us in bondage. And I'm just going to share those with you pretty quickly. Because I think we need to recognize it so we can understand where this is coming from and that this isn't the Lord's best for us. Uh, the first one is financial bondage. That's probably the most prevalent one for, for all of us because you have to have money, but you don't want money to have you, right? But it's so easy for us to get overextended financially because of our society. Our society makes it so easy to borrow money. It's so easy to get loans and equity loans and, and get a, loan, a $50,000 loan on a vehicle that you don't need and, and get overextended. And it feels so good that first, but you know, that, the, the new car thing, man, it's such a beautiful thing. That first day you got that new car, got the new car smell and it's clean and it's wonderful. And then about a month later, the new car smell's gone and that first payment comes due in the mail. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, why did I do this? You know, and then it's too late because your, your vehicle's already lost 30% of its value as soon as you drive it off the lot. But, you know, your salesman's never going to tell you that up front. He's going to tell you, you know, you really need this thing. And um, so we're, we're constantly being bombarded with stuff like that. Credit cards. I get, some days I get three or four credit card offers in the mail. It's unbelievable. And they have all kinds of gimmicks and, and little things to try to get you to use their card. You know, 2% cash back on this card if you use this card. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, 2% cash back. If I use this card and I can't pay it off the, in the month, the interest is 30%. So... I don't care how bad you are at math, everybody knows 2% is a lot less than 30. And if you don't know, it's 28% different. I'm, I'm, I'm in the hole 28% because I use this 2% cash back card. It doesn't work. The math isn't good. But we can easily get roped into that, you know, or they'll say, oh, transfer your balances, zero interest for a year. And so you think, oh, good, no interest. I'm going to pile up even more debt. There's just so many things, the commercials we hear about just everybody's trying to get your money. And if you're not intentional, you can really get into financial bondage. Some of us, some of us are in financial bondage today. That's why Dave Ramsey's a gajillionaire doing financial peace for people because people really need that. And a lot of you have probably gone through financial peace here at the church. It's a wonderful thing. And, uh, um, it, it's how God intended for us to live, to live free, not in bondage. Uh, Proverbs 22 says that the borrower is slave to the lender. And boy, that is so true. And some of us have experienced that more than we really want to admit. Um, the second one is sexual bondage. This is probably the second most prevalent one in our lives that we have to deal with. I know I said the S word in church, but it's okay because we're, we're talking spiritually. Um, that was a joke. But we, 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 can, we can so easily get into the sexual bondage. You know, the, our society is telling, we are being bombarded. You can't watch a TV show, a football, a, a game, anything on television without some aspect of sex being sold to you. And all the TV shows now, like, 
you know, if you're dating, the, the, the public perception now is if you're dating, it's just a natural progression to sleep together. It's just two people showing their love for one another and how much they care for each other. You know, you just, it's just natural. It's to the point that if you try to be pure and abstain until you're married, people look at you like you're crazy. Because that's, our society is just saying, it's just no big deal. It's no big deal. I'm here to tell you today, church, there's no such thing as casual sex. Sex was designed, God designed it in a way that it would be a spiritual bond between two people within the confines of marriage. And let me tell you something, that spiritual bond happens whether it's in marriage or not. And so to think you could just have multiple partners, it's just no big deal. You, there's people with soul ties to people that they were with 10 years ago that they can't get free from because it's the, way, it's the natural way that God designed for it to be that it's supposed to be something that's that intimate. And so we, we're dealing with people all the time that are having to break those soul ties. And some people never get victory from that. Now, praise God, he's, he gives us victory. We can have a fresh start. You know, this isn't to beat any one of us up. I'm just trying to talk to you about this, the pressures of society and how they lead us down that road. And it's in the church, too. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to abstain until you're married because there's so much pressure all around us. And if, if it's not sex, then there's pornography, you know. And this is something that used to be a man issue. Now it's a woman issue, too. It's so prevalent on the Internet that they estimate that, that 80% of adults struggle with pornography in some way or another. But our society tells us it's no big deal. You're just looking at stuff. You know, it's a very healthy way to express yourself. And, and it's harmless. And uh, I, I've, I, there's too many marriages that have been destroyed by pornography to say that it's harmless. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But that's what, what our society would want us to think. What I like to say is pornography is like this fantasy world that starts out feeling like an amusement park and ends up making you feel like you're in a dirty, old, nasty gas station bathroom. And we've all been in one of those and know exactly how disgusting those are. That's where it leads you. It, it, it draws you in with, with the good side and you end up feeling like you're in, a, uh, you're in a pit that you can't get out of. And people are in bondage to that. And that's not God's best for us. But that's something that society does to pull us in. Uh, the next one is emotional bondage. A lot of us are in emotional bondage. This is something our culture also draws us to. You know, this is, this is anxiety, depression, fear. Uh, what was the other one? Anger. Those four main emotions that really can keep us in bondage. So many of us struggle with fear and anxiety. And for some of us, we don't need society to even help us with this. We can do this all on our own. You know, that's, that's something that can be very prevalent in our lives. Uh, but society doesn't help us. You know, we, we can get the, the fear and anxiety can come from being overextended financially. You know, the depression can come from seeing everybody on social media is having a wonderful life and you don't know why yours isn't great because everybody else is having a wonderful time. There's so many things in our society that can cause us, if, if we're not careful, to become in bondage to our own feelings and how we feel about a situation. Now, for some of us, you know, depression, it can be a, it can be a biological thing in our mind, you know, that, that we would actually need medication. And if that's the case, then that's fine. Um, but for a lot of us, it's just something that society is leading us down that road. And we, and we give into that sometimes and allow it to affect us. And God's heart for us is, that, is not that we would be affected by our society in that way. And then the final one is religious bondage. Now, we can't really blame this one on society. This one, the church kind of has the market on this one. Um, we're, we're pretty good as, a, as an American church of putting people in religious bondage. Um, that spirit of religion is very, very prevalent in the church. And it is a very, very dangerous spirit. It's that spirit that, that tells us that we have to look a certain way or we have to act a certain way to be Christians and to, to really be godly. And, uh, and, and that, that spirit is so, so dangerous. It's the spirit that killed Jesus. That religious spirit, the Pharisees, you know, Jesus heals a blind man. And rather than be excited, they're mad because he did it on the Sabbath. You know, that's the religious spirit. And we see that so prevalent 
in the church and it's devastating and it is the biggest repellent to lost people getting saved that there is. Now I will say I'm so thankful for New Hope because I, I feel like uh, like we are a very, our heart and our desire is to serve God and to see the lost saved. You know, I was, I was, a lady was cutting my hair a couple weeks ago and she was talking, we were just chatting and, and, um, she asked what I do. And I told her I'm on staff at the church and she asked what church and she said, Oh, I know that church. I've, I've heard of it. And I said, well, you should come. You know, you, I think you'd love it. I was inviting her to church and first question out of her mouth. Well, how do you dress at New Hope? And I, it, it kind of broke my heart because I thought, man, that's the first thing you think of. Because so many churches are like that. Like, you can't come to church without a suit and a tie on. Are you crazy? I thought you loved Jesus, you know? But I, I'll tell you, I was so proud to be able to tell her, you can come as you are, honey. You can come as you are. I said, God forbid we keep somebody out of our church because of how they dress, right? Praise God. But we still have to deal with that, with that bondage. And we have to be careful that we're not more concerned about how things look around here than we are about lost people coming in here and meeting Jesus in this place. Because that's what this is all about. But that religious spirit will absolutely keep us in bondage. So I don't want to spend all my time talking about the things that keep us in bondage. I want to talk about things that help us set us free. Okay, so I'm going to spend the rest of my time uh, giving five, what I've called five countercultural principles to living free. Now I know you're only supposed to give three points in a sermon. I'm giving five. But, you know, Pastor Bono, you did two last week, so I'm taking one of his. And then I'm just adding another one for the fun of it. So, but I, I couldn't narrow it down because I felt like all five of these were really important. So I'm going to go through these, these principles that we can apply to our lives to live free. And the first one is to live with parameters. How many of you know freedom doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want? The freedom that Christ gave us is not just so we could do whatever we want. Freedom has parameters. It, it, the very first thing that is recorded in the Bible that God said to Adam is you are free. First thing he said, but if you read that whole thing, he said, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, except don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had parameters, even in his freedom that he gave Adam, because the parameters are not set up to confine us. They're set up to protect us. And if we stay in those parameters, we walk in the freedom of those parameters, then we're walking in God's blessing and we can experience that blessing in our life. Uh, I, I saw a really great example of that the other day when I was on Washington Road close to Riverwood. If you live over there, you, you know, or if you've been over there, you know the traffic over in that area is nuts. In fact, I would, I would challenge you, if you think you've arrived spiritually, go hang out over there on a Friday afternoon and see how you do. Because um, it can be tough sometimes. Now, I will say the construction, I think, is done, so it's actually pretty nice through there now. But anyway, I was right up Washington Road, and all of a sudden I see this woman, she had parked her car in the suicide lane, had her flashers on, and she is in an all-out sprint back up the suicide lane coming towards me. And I'm talking a panic sprint. And she was not dressed to run, if you know what I mean. And so she was running hard, and I'm thinking, oh my, it was so much so that I was thinking, what's, what's going on? I started slowing down thinking I might need to pull over and help because I know somebody got hit by a car if there was an accident. And I started looking around, I didn't see anything. And all of a sudden I looked down right beside me in the suicide lane, I see a turtle about this big. And he's just taking his good old time. He's out for a stroll, you know, just walking across Washington Road on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, thinking he's free as a bird, you know. And he's about five seconds away from getting crushed. And she, this woman, obviously a lover of animals, and I don't, if you're here today, God bless you. Um, I, didn't, I didn't recognize her, so... But anyway, she is an all-out sprint, and she goes up, and she snatches that turtle out of, off the ground. And when she got that turtle, her whole demeanor changed. You could just see she was so proud of herself. She's like, ah, I got it, you know? 
And she, she just walked back up the suit. Her whole, the panic was gone. Everything changed. She was fine. She waited until she could cross over and wash the road. She put the turtle back in the woods and everything was good. And she saved the day and the turtle's happy and, and loving it. But I, I got such a glimpse. I just smiled because I got such a glimpse. Like, that's the heart of God, you know? Like, that turtle thought he was free, but he was outside his parameters. He needs to be in the woods. And him being on the road, he thought he was free, but he was about to die. And this woman, you know, this representation of God running and just snatching this turtle up and saying, no, this is not where you need to be. This is not safe here. So I'm going to bring you over here and put you where you should be. And, you know, she didn't pick up the turtle and berate it and put her finger in his face or, you know, throw him up and drop kick him, you know. She didn't do any of that. She was so excited that she saved it. She, she just, she wanted to show it off, you know. And that's how God is for us. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us to stay in those parameters so that he can beat us. And he doesn't want us to not have fun because he just, he's just a buzzkill God, you know. He doesn't, say, he doesn't want us to not have sex outside of marriage because he doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to do that because he knows the, the consequences that come down the road for that. You know? He doesn't want us to, to get drunk on a Saturday night, because, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, but because he knows the consequences of that. The, th- the parameters he's given us are to protect us, not to confine us. And that's his heart for us. And uh, I, would, I would challenge you, if you think that freedom just means you can do whatever you want, then I would let your 12-year-old drive your car on Bobby Jones this afternoon and see how that goes. You know, that's just, that's not, none of us would do that because we know that even freedom requires some parameters for us. And if we stay in those parameters, we can walk in that freedom. So we're not, we're not trying to be good for good sake just because we're Christians and we don't, we don't get drunk and we don't, we don't do these things that other people do. It's not because of that. It's because we understand that the principles of walking in freedom that God gives us is to stay within those because there really is blessing inside of that. All right. So the next one is to take off your mask. And, uh. What I would tell you is that culture tells us that only let people see what you want them to see. Don't, don't, don't really be transparent. Don't be real with people. Just let them see what you want them to see. But the truth is that God would have us be real and to be transparent because that's where true freedom comes from in our life. When we walk with that facade, we, we keep ourselves in that bondage because we're not willing to be real with people. And, and there's, there's the reasons we struggle with that are legitimate. We're, we're, we fear that people will reject us or make fun of us. You know, There's a reason that so many men are struggling with pornography, but nobody ever talks about it. Because we, it, the, the thought is, as a man, if I, if I tell this guy that I'm struggling with this, he's going to laugh or he's going to think less of me or he's going to think I'm a pervert or he's going to go tell a bunch of other people and I'm going to be exposed and everybody's going to know. When in reality, if you do tell another man, a lot of times that man says, well, that's great because I'm struggling with it too. Let's work through this together. You know, That's the idea. But we believe the lie that, oh, if, I, if I'm real with people, I'm going to be rejected. When in reality, we're all struggling with a lot of the same stuff. And if we would expose those things, it could be dealt with in our life, you know? Um, I had the privilege of being at, at the GROW conference this week, which is a, a conference that the Church of the Highlands does in Birmingham, Alabama. Huge church, 40,000 people. Pastor Chris Hodges, you may have watched him online. He's a wonderful man of God. And he was sharing about this. And he said, he said, you know, he said, I had a, I had an epiphany one day when I was reading in James and what James talks about what we're supposed to do. And it's in James five sixteen. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now he said, it was very clear too. He said, listen, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but according to this, we confess our sins to each other for healing. I thought that was very interesting because, you know, a lot of us would just rather say, you know what, I'm just going to, it's just me and God. We're going to deal with this and he's going to set me free and, and it's going to be fine. You know, I don't have to be real with other people. God set it up in a way that we 
that there is a, a power, there's a strength when we as brothers or sisters come together and share with each other and we're transparent and open. Because I'm telling you, when you do that, it, it, there's something that happens. There's a dynamic that happens that it's like, it's like the mask is off. It's like, there goes the mask and oh my gosh, you look the same as I do when your mask is off. Wow, we could really do this together. But, but we have this lie in our minds and the enemy tells us this lie that everybody else is doing great. It's just you. You know, you're the only one that struggles with this. Everybody else is just, you know, reading their Bible all day long and floating around their house. And, you know, they're, they're, them and their wife just hold hands everywhere they go. Their marriage is perfect. Kids are perfect, godly kids. They pray every night before bed. You're, you're you know, you're the only one that has stuff that's, that's an issue. Everybody else is doing great. When in reality, it's the complete opposite of that. We're all we're struggling through this life. And we need each other for that. That's why we have connect groups in this church, guys. That's why we have small groups. Because we believe that it's when we can come together and we can be in relationship together, we can, we can help each other break free. We pray for each other because then we will be healed when we pray for each other. So that's my connect group plug. Get in a connect group. I promise you it's worth it. it it's an hour out of your week. And, and I mean, the testimonies are endless that we have of people that said, man, I just, I've been going to church for years and never really felt the freedom that I feel now that I'm connected to another group of brothers or sisters that I could be with. And I want to encourage you in that. And, and one more thing about, about being real is that, um, sometimes that bondage of having that, that mask on can become a comfort zone for us. It can become a comfort zone where it's just easier for us to keep that mask on and not let people see because I've kind of learned how to deal with my bondages. You know, I just kind of learned how to deal with these things on my own and it's going to be okay. And I, I, I'm not comfortable to actually go to put myself out there and it actually becomes a comfort zone. It sounds, it sounds masochistic or sadomasochistic, but it's, it's, it's really how we kind of are sometimes, but God would want us to take those masks off and, and trust him and trust others with our heart. Okay. The third one, I got to keep moving here. Control your appetites. Now, I know some of you would say control my appetites. How do I do that? I can't help it that I love pizza. You know, I, I sure can't help it that my daughter asked me yesterday, like if there was, uh, one food that, that I wish I was allergic to, if I had to be allergic to one food, what would it be? I said, pizza. Cause then I wouldn't eat it. You know, it would help me not get so fat all the time. So, um, but our, our appetites can, can drive us and control us, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I, I remember one time the, in the sermon of the Mount, I mean, the, on the Beatitudes that Jesus told in Matthew five, six, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that really spoke to me because it, it, he's basically telling us there, like, we can choose what we hunger and thirst for. We can drive the appetite. We don't have to let our appetites drive us. We can actually change our appetites. We can change what, what, our, what we're driven towards. And he says that if we will hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we'll be filled. So we, we can train our body and what, what's going to drive us. We don't have to let it be our guide. We don't have to let our body lead us. There's a, there's a story that's told of two brothers that were uh, the heirs over a, a kingdom that back in the 14th century of what is now Belgium. And uh, the older brother was actually the one that was the ruler. And his name was uh, Raynal, but they called him Crassus, which in their language meant fat. It, it actually meant that word because he was so incredibly uh, overweight, large. Um, he couldn't even fit through normal doorways. And uh, well, his younger brother, Edward, actually formed a coup and overthrew him. And he put, instead of killing him, he put him in prison. But the prison he put him in was a different prison. It was just a room with windows that had no bars on it and a door that was smaller than a normal door, but it wasn't even a door. It was just an, uh, an opening. And the brother told the older brother, he said, if you can get out of this room, you can have your reign back. You can have your rule, everything that's yours, you can have it back. And so basically all the guy would have to do was like control his appetite for a little bit and he'd be able to, to get out of this room. But what the other brother did 
to, to tempt him was every day he sent very delicious foods to him, all he wanted to eat. Kept a, kept a steady stream of food coming to him, and he could not control his appetite, so he stayed in that room for 10 years. It's, it's hard to even fathom that, really. I mean, I'm, think, I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, just fast for a week, dude. You'll probably be able to get out of there, you know? But he, but he could not control his appetites, and so he became a prisoner in that room. And, and I, I think that's how it is for us. We, we can't control the appetites that drive us, whatever they are, whether they're financial or, or sexual or emotional or whatever it might be, relational. We can't control those, so we stay in a prison, even though there's, there's no locks on the door. But we're not willing to give up the things we, we crave so that we can actually walk in that freedom that God has for us. But his desire is that we would walk in freedom. And, and, but we have to be willing to fight for it. We really have to be willing to fight for that freedom that God has given us. Uh, the verse I read in Galatians 5.1, I'll read it again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Paul is saying here, he's not saying like pray real hard that you won't get back into slavery. He's saying stand firm. Like there's a part we have to play. We have to be willing to fight. The Bible says the violent take it by force. Like we have to want it so bad that we're not going to let anything in this society, our appetites, our flesh, any of those things drive us. But we're going to stand firm to not allow ourselves to be in bondage again because Jesus has set us free. You know, we have the right to be free, church. We, it's our right to be free. But just because we have that right doesn't mean we walk in it. You know, everybody, all the children in, a, in this country have the right to go to school. You know, if you, if you live here, you have the right to go to school. Nobody, can, nobody will stop you. Do There's no laws against you going to school. You have that right. But just because you have that right doesn't make you a student. You know, if you want to be a real student, you actually have to pull yourself out of bed, brush your teeth, wash your hair, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, get on the bus, go to school, go to every class, do the homework, take the tests, and, and do it again the next day. You have, to, you have to perpetually go back to school. Then you're a student. You're not a student if you're not going to school, but you have the right to be one. But it's up to you whether or not you're going to choose to exercise that right. It's the same thing with the freedom that God has given each one of us. We have the right to it, but it's up to us to exercise it and to be able, to, be able and willing to walk in it and to, to fight for what we know is ours. Okay, then the fourth one is to be intentional. Be intentional. That's kind of a buzzword now, like be intentional. The, one of the worst things we can do as believers is, is be lackadaisical about our faith. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do, is to just kind of have this ho-hum attitude. That's the attitude our society has about God. You know, a recent poll showed that 80% of Americans believe in God. And you and I both know that there's nowhere close to 80% of this country are followers of Jesus. Not even close. But they believe in God. But that's our society's stance right now. It's like, yeah, believe in God, but just don't put a lot of energy there. You know, it's not really worth it. Just do your own thing. God's kind of that thing there over on the side if you need him. You know, after 9-11, church attendance spiked for six months, I think, because everybody all of a sudden then was afraid for their life and we thought we were going to be attacked every week. So everybody went to church because they needed God. And then when they realized, oh, it's not going to happen again, church attendance went back to down to normal. That's our society. That's how our society works. Like, ooh, I'm in a crisis. I need God. God, help me. Please help me. Okay, you help me. Thank you. I'll, I'll call you again when I need you. You know? But, and that's how our society would be. But that's, that's not God's plan for us, to be half-hearted about our faith. Our faith should bleed into every area of our life. I think sometimes in the church we buy the lie that there's a difference between the sacred and the secular. And there really isn't. There is for the world. But if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no difference. The sacred is every part of your life. It should bleed into every part of your life. I shared this a few weeks ago. If you've been at your job for five years and nobody there knows you're a Christian, I would challenge you 
to let your faith bleed into every area of your life. I'm not saying take your Bible to work and beat people over the head with it. But they can know you're a Christian by how you love them. And you, and you will be given the opportunity to tell them why you are the way you are. They will want to know, I promise. The world is wanting to know about this Jesus that changes our life. But we have to be willing to do that. But see, the, the reason that, that so many people believe in God but don't really serve him is because, frankly, the enemy is a really good liar. He's a really, really good liar. We don't want to give him any more credit than we have to, but he is good at that. And what he does is he's convinced people, our society, he's convinced our society that, that he's really the only one that's for us. God's just for himself. God's all about himself, and he's the one that's, that's for us. So we shouldn't really serve God because if you serve God, he's going to make you be all about him. And I just want you to be happy. I want you to have the things you want. If it feels good, you should be allowed to do it. God doesn't want you to do that. That's the lie the enemy perpetrates in our life and in the life of our society. But we can walk in freedom, but we have to be willing to give him everything. He wants everything, church. Every, he wants our whole life. And, and I'm not telling you guys something you don't know, but, but to, to know that sitting in a church service on Sunday and to know that on a Tuesday afternoon at work are two different things to walking it out. It's not always easy. And I'm not here to condemn because we all have to deal with that. We all, I have the blessing of working here during the week, so it's pretty easy for me. I'm surrounded with a bunch of other people that love Jesus, but you guys are the ones that are going out in the world and having to work with people that don't love Jesus and don't even really care to know about Jesus and having to be that, that Jesus with skin on for those people. And we pray for you guys because we know it's not easy. And we want you to be that light. The church, we, the church is the hope of the world. And we're meant to be that for the world and for the people. Uh, in John 44, eight, I'm sorry, John 8, 44, Jesus is talking about Satan and he says, when he lies, he is speaking his native language for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. That's what Satan does. When he's speaking, he's speaking his native tongue if he's lying. That's all he knows to do. And he, he perpetrates that lie in our lives if we will allow it. But God is saying, I want you to exalt me. The, the psalmist said, God, I will exalt you. I love in John, I think it's the seventh chapter, Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And he's saying, you know, that you have to eat of me. He's, he's giving them a very hard word. They're having a hard time comprehending it or even receiving it. Because basically saying, like, if you're going to follow me, you, I have to be everything to you. Like, I want you to lay down everything for me if you're going to follow me. And the Bible says that a lot of his disciples that day turned away from him and didn't follow him anymore. Because it was such a hard word. And then Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and he says, hey, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter, you got to love Peter. He said one of the greatest things in the whole Bible right there. He said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's, that is how we survive our society today. That's how we defeat the societal norms today is to say, Lord, where would I go? I, these guys might go over here and have fun for a little bit, but you have the words of eternal life. He was exalting God in his life. And he's recognized for it. He's saying, there's nowhere else for me to go. That's, that's my heart. That's the heart I want to have every day. Like, Lord, why would I even dabble over here? Why would I even mess with, with, with all this stuff over here? Because this is all temporal, has no meaning. You have the words of eternal life. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit's telling us, like, don't, don't mess with that other stuff. It's not worth it. I promise it's not worth it. You, could, you can come over here to me and exalt me, and I promise you it's going to be worth it. I promise you, you're going to exalt me. If you exalt me, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you my glory. And you're going to be able to have an impact. You'll be able to walk in that freedom in this post-Christian culture that we have today. Amen? Okay, so the last one. Choose your partner wisely. Now, notice there I capitalized the P. That's Jesus. So I would ask you today, who are you going to partner with in your life? 
Who are you going to partner with in your life? Every day of your life. Uh, there's a verse in, in 2 Chronicles 16.9. I love it. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You can read that. If you read over that quickly, it can sound like, oh yeah, okay, good. That means if I'm saved, he's looking to show himself strong for me. He's looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him. You know, your loyalty cannot be split up when it comes to this life and walking with Jesus. And if you don't believe that's true, I, 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 I challenge you, men, go home today and tell your wife, like, listen, I'm, I'm loyal to you, but I really want to have this girlfriend on the side. See what she says. Actually, never mind. I don't suggest that. I don't, I don't want a bunch of men coming to church next week with black eyes. But God demands that same loyalty from us. Like, if we're going to partner with him, he's saying, I'm looking for those people whose hearts are loyal to me. And, I want, and those people, then I want to show myself strong. He is, how cool is that, that the God of the universe is looking to show himself strong in our life if we're loyal to him? How cool? That's even Old Testament. That was before Jesus. He's saying, if your heart's loyal to me, I'm going to show myself to you. You guys are going to see it. It's going to blow your mind, but I need that loyalty. He wants us to be loyal. If we're not loyal, he'll, he's, he's so full of grace, still loves us, takes care of us. But he's saying, I will really show myself strong if I can find some people that are loyal to me. Our heart cannot be divided. We can't be, have one foot in the world and one foot over here with our God. We have this tendency to kind of ride the fence sometimes, to stay close to the fence, you know, because we don't want to be over here. We don't want to be a fanatic, a radical Christian. So we kind of ride close to that fence. And God's saying, the loyalty's over here. The loyalty's over on this side. Now, I'm not telling you to be a nut and go out and, like I said, beat people over the head with your Bible. But there's a, there's a radical living for Jesus that is a blessing to our society. When we are radical for him the way he's called us to be, it, it will bless our society. It will draw people to Jesus. It will be like a moth to the flame. They will want to know what we have. One of the biggest things that keeps people from getting saved is other Christians that are walking in bondage, that are walking away from the blessings of God, walking outside of those parameters that God has created for us. Because people see that and they think, why do I want what you have? You know, we want them to want it so bad. I, I was just saying we were at the Highlands and they have... Their dream team has 20,000 people on it. I can't even fathom that. But we experienced their dream team a lot because we were there for three days. And every one of them is just smiling. And they're, they genuinely make you feel like they're happy that you're there. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if you come into this church and you're not saved, there's so many people that are so excited about Jesus. I don't know how you can go in there and not get saved. you know? And they got dozens of people getting saved like every week in that church. Now, I, I think we're, we're, we do a pretty good job of that as well. I think people come into this church, they feel, they feel the love of Jesus, of the people in this church. I, I think we're wonderful. Um, there's always room for improvement, but we're doing great. Amen? And, but that's how we should be. And I'm always like, let's go to the next level. Let's just keep going. Let's keep leveling up so that people will come in here and just be like, whatever these people have, I got to have it. I got to have it. I'm, I'm running to the altar because I want what they got. Like that, that should be our heart. And I think that's, that's what God wants for us. And we can walk in that if we're partnering with him and if we're loyal to him. So in conclusion, which by saying that, I'd like the, the band to come up. And I, you guys can stand with me, please. So I stop. We are called to live free in this culture and to affect our culture. We're called to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Amen? We're called to affect, not reflect, our culture. 
And Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope. And he's a great hope. And I love what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. And they're not going to have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody here weary and burdened? I know I am sometimes. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We all need rest. And I, this isn't just like getting a good eight hours of sleep at night. This is rest for your soul. Because he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. This isn't a come to me like, okay, Jesus, I'll come to you. What's up? He's saying, come to me. Like, really, like, leave everything behind and come to me. And I will give you rest for your souls. We can rest in the midst of the chaos of our society and of our culture today. I was, I, I, it, it was very, very feasible for me in that room with 200 people trying to pay my power bill to find rest in the midst of that. It really was. Even though it was complete and total chaos. But God's heart for us is that we would be free and we would find that rest. If we will come to him, if we're committed to him, if our hearts are loyal to him, he will show himself strong in our life. I want to pray for us. I want to pray over all of us today because I believe all of us need this. And I don't want it, I don't want you to feel like you have to come up to this altar. So I'm just going to pray over you at your seat. If this is, if, if, if it's for you, I just pray you just receive it. Just receive it. I'm not going to call you out because I'm going to pray for myself too. So if you guys bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father. God, you're so, so good. Lord, we thank you today, first and foremost, for your grace. We thank you that your grace, that you're un, we have unmerited favor in our life because of what you did for us, Jesus. And God, I know all you ask us to do is give all of ourselves to you. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We have to look a certain way. It's just won our hearts. You, want, you are looking for hearts that are loyal to you. God, let that be me. Let that be all of us in this room today, Lord. Whatever else is stealing our loyalty, God, I pray you would expose it in our lives. Expose it in our lives, Lord. And help us to throw those things aside and come to you so we can find rest for our souls. I believe there is a supernatural rest that you want to give each and every one of us. Lord, help us to throw off those things that are hindering us and keeping us from walking in that freedom that you've called us to. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. God, I pray you help us to be intentional and to stand firm, to not allow ourselves to be burdened by that yoke of slavery. Lord, we know that you don't put that yoke on us. You tell us that your yoke is light and your burden is easy. That's what we want in our lives, Lord. Would you do that work in our hearts today, God? Do that, heart, do that work in our hearts today. Lord, would you seal the work in our hearts, Lord, that this would not leave us when we get out of this building into the parking lot and down the road and going to lunch, that it would stay with us. Lord, not my words, but your words. Your work in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I don't care if nobody remembers who preached today. I just want them to remember that you have a call on their lives to walk in freedom. And I pray we'd walk in that freedom. We thank you for it today, Lord. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. You are worthy, Jesus, of all of our lives. We thank you that you are the hope of the world. And you are the hope in our lives too. And we give you the praise for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give God praise in this place today. Thank you.